Hi, it's your pal Mike Shea from SlyFlourish.com and Twitter.com slash SlyFlourish here with another episode of the DM's Deep Dive right here on the Don't Split the Podcast Network. In this show, I like to pick a particular topic of interest to the community of D&D, uh, find an expert in this topic, and dive deep uh, into this game. And uh, today, I am here with Dr. Megan Connell. Uh, Hello. Dr. Megan, you introduce yourself. Hi, I'm Dr. Megan Connell. I'm a psychologist, therapeutic dungeon master, uh, board certified, licensed in three states. I'm also the co-founder of a company called Geeks Like Us, where we try to um, work on the intersection of geek passions and careers. Uh, through Geeks Like Us, I am the dungeon master for Clinical Role, a live play D&D game where it's all my players are other therapeutic dungeon masters and psychologists. And then I also run a show called Psychology at the Table, where we talk about how to help players address different issues that they might see or, or help dungeon masters address different issues they might have with their players from depression to anxiety to learning disabilities. 
That's that's great, and I I, I want to thank you very much for being on here. It's a real it's a real joy to talk to you today. I didn't want to make it sound like, hey, we're going to talk about bad games, and I want to talk about an expert in bad games. That didn't come across. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've had my share, like certainly. <laughs> You're here to help us get past bad games. So. Yes. <laughs> so the the first thing that came up, I've talked to a lot of friends of mine, and I've talked to a lot of other folks on Twitter about this topic, and when we describe a bad game. Uh, there are many different types. So one of the things that I did is I, I put out a tweet on this question saying, when you have a quote unquote bad game, uh, what what was typically the cause? And mm -hmm. I got about 140 replies and I, I threw them all into Excel and I tried to group them into uh, common groups as I want to do. And um, I came out with a bunch. And I'm just gonna kind of rip them mm -hmm. through them really, really quickly. Um, mismatched expectations was definitely a big one. Mismatched expectations between between DMs and players about what the game was going to be or what it was going to be like. Uh, disruptions, uh, being tired and stressed. Uh, a lot of people were critical of themselves, like I'm I was a bad DM, or you know the the, the number one cause of the, the the game being bad was because I'm terrible. Um, a lack of focus, uh, spotlight issues, somebody hogging the spotlight. Uh, mm -hmm. General antagonism between players and DMs. Uh, distractions, people being on their phones or, or having other things going on around their lives that was taking taking away from the game. Poor communication, toxicity, uh, feeling like they had a lack of options or, or general disinterest. That covers probably 70 or 80% of the 140-ish replies that I got. Um, so kind of recognizing that bad games, there are many different kinds of bad games. Yeah, yeah. And, and many probable different solutions to bad games. Um, what I'm hoping we can talk to now is in what are some general tips and general tools that we can that we can put in our toolbox to help us deal with different kinds of you know many different yes. kinds. Of so I will start now with my first question. I wanted to kind All of right. I, I wanted to kind of scope that <laughs> first. Um, and my my first question, which is a question that I ask for for all our guests, is what 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 three tips do you have for DMs to recover from a bad game? Yeah. So first off is take some time. Um, probably the worst time to try and figure out what went wrong and what happened and how to fix the problem is right after the game. Because you are emotional, you're defensive, you're frustrated, and you're not going to be able to think clearly through the issue. So you want to take time. So take a day or two, maybe even a week to really sit back and try to understand what happened. Um, it's really important too to have somebody that you can bounce ideas off of. I think one of the challenges a lot of game masters run into is we run games for our friends. And so we get excited about stories and we wanna share it with people, but all of our friends are our players. And so we have nobody to talk about and our talk, talk with this, these things about. And so to find um, either face-to-face -face other dungeon masters that you can sit down and talk to, um, some local game stores do dungeon master nights where they let the dungeon masters come in and just process ideas together or even using a tool like reddit or twitter to you know chat and to try to bounce ideas and uh, get that feedback and then i think also something really important is keep notes of good games <laughs> like when you have a good game when you finish that game and you're on a high from just players who had a great time you had a great time everything seemed to be in sync and jiving you want to write those down and you want to keep a record of those. Because one of the things that our brain does is when we get into a certain emotional state, it's actually almost impossible for us to remember being in another emotional state. Uh, so for example, this is why like when you feel depressed, it can feel like you've always felt depressed. Hmm. Because it's very hard for your brain to actually remember feeling good. 
And so when you're feeling down on yourself and feeling like I'm a terrible dungeon master, I don't know what I'm doing, my games aren't any fun, it's really easy for a brain to be like, yeah, and remember that time where you forgot how sneak attack worked? Oh, wait, then there was that time you forgot about disadvantage, and there's that other time you forgot about the legendary actions. And so it's just like, oh my god, I'm this terrible dungeon master. But if we have some sort of record where it's like, wait, no, I also ran this game that went really well here, and another one that went really well here, it doesn't take away the necessarily the sting of the bad game we just had but what it does is it gives us a more objective look at our overall performance as a dungeon master yeah so uh two 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 questions on on two of those three three tips mm -hmm. um when you mentioned talking to somebody uh talking to somebody about it finding somebody to talk to about it um i'm guessing that talking to somebody that's in the group is not you wouldn't recommend that no especially if you're talking about player problems mm -hmm. Um, so I, unless like it's, there's a few, obviously there's always exceptions to rules, right? But if something went wrong in the game and you're trying to figure it out, um, it, sometimes talking to your players, you can't really be as honest as you want to be because maybe the players feel frustrated because they felt stonewalled or something happened and you have story reasons that they can't know yet. And so you can't freely talk and you're always kind of thinking through what you're saying with your players mm -hmm. and there's other times where you can sit back and talk with your players and go um a, a few weeks ago like uh, my dungeon master tried a new mechanic and it just didn't work really well mm -hmm. and uh, yeah i gave them feedback after we kind of bounced ideas off of each other of how we would improve that mechanic in the future in either a game I ran or a game that they ran. Um, and so in that way, it was helpful because it was more of us just kind of being objective and talking dungeon master to dungeon master mm -hmm. um, on something. But uh, I think also like if you're having issues with somebody in the party uh, or with somebody in your group, you right. don't want to be gossiping mm -hmm. because that person doesn't want to feel ganged up on. Mm -hmm. Like we, we don't like it when people talk about us behind our backs. So don't <laughs> do that. Right. You know, it, it's um, this is part of the reason too that I made psychology at the table is reading through Reddit and reading through people's um, player problems. I'd be reading and I'm like, oh my god, that player sounds like they're depressed. And the and the advice sometimes the advice yeah. you read that they're given is like, wow, that's terrible advice. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know, it's like you know, I I remember one where like it, pretty much across the board, it looked like this player probably had depression. Mm -hmm. They were isolating. They weren't as engaged anymore. They weren't reaching out. They weren't cracking jokes. There's, you know, getting sick. It like just kind of boop, 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 right down the line of all these symptoms. And some of the top advice was kick this player from your party. Mm -hmm. Like, oh my gosh, if this person really is depressed, that's the worst thing you could do is to isolate them more from their friends and from something that's maybe helping them feel connected and actually attached to people. Yeah. Yeah. That's an interesting one. I mean, like, and and I don't know. This probably says more about me. There's there's definitely. I, I guess at what point does that sort of step outside of, you know, trying to keep a a D and D game together and more mm -hmm. into just needing to reach out to somebody to try to get them help in another way. Like yeah. Well, I mean, really, dungeon mastering is people management, right? Yeah. Like we have to manage schedules, we have to manage time, we have to manage expectations. I like if you want to become like a master team leader and leader at work, dungeon master for a while. Right. Yeah. And so <laughs> honestly, like it, it's so hard to get everybody to be at the table and to have, you know, those clear expectations. And so you want to work on that stuff to really try to get, you know, everyone there. And like, if you notice your friends having trouble, like the central thesis of psychology at the table is talk to your players. Mm -hmm. If 
you're noticing something going on, talk with them, have a conversation and pull them, you know, not in front of everybody, you know, pull them aside and be like, dude, I've noticed that you're not as energetic recently. What's going on with that? Why, why are you pulling back? Is, is everything okay with you? And just be willing to listen. Like you don't have to be their therapist. Like, please don't be. That is grossly <laughs> inappropriate. Like, but just, it, it's good to ask that question of just, so many times we don't have friends who like legitimately ask if we're okay. They would do that like, yeah, all right. Just expecting the fine mm-hmm. and wanting to move on. But to really sit down and be like, no, I, I'm worried about you. You're not acting your normal self. Please tell me what's going on. Um, it, that can go a really long way in getting somebody to the help that they need. Or sometimes that's all you need is just to know your friends care about you. Right. So, so another, I said, I only had two questions. I actually had three. <laughs> <laughs> That's fine. Your first question. Um, and so the other one you mentioned, uh, uh, kind of reaching out to like social media networks and things like that in order to get mm-hmm. other opinions. Do you, do you, I don't know how to say this without biasing the answer, but do you feel like that could be dangerous sometimes? That, like, oh, because we're yeah. not talking to somebody face to face. I mean, it's obviously well, like if I'm talking to Enrique in social media, it's like I know Enrique. Yes. But if I'm going to, you know, I don't know, a face group, a Facebook group seeking advice. Yeah, or like our behind the screens or something. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it's um how I have found those different social media is I'm speaking specifically to Reddit, um, because that's yeah. one of the ones I'm on a lot, mm-hmm. can be really helpful. Is it helps me stick step outside of my own biases. Mm-hmm. Um, I, as a psychologist, I like to pretend that I am not biased and I have perfect <laughs> objectivity in everything. And I am saying pretend because I know everything in an Excel spreadsheet. Oh, that's yes. All yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, no, I, you know, I'm not perfect either. I have my own biases. I get stuck and super hyper-focused on thinking like my pro- players need to see things this way. And so one of the things I found Reddit specifically useful for is like when you type out kind of your issues, sometimes just the act of typing out the question, you're like, I see it now. I don't even need to hit send. <laughs> I know what I need to do. Um, but you know, people will be very blatant, you know, blatantly on, honest and r- maybe rudely honest with you. Uh, but it can really kind of help you out with understanding uh, the problem from a different perspective. And that I think that's one of the most useful things is like we get fixated on, oftentimes when we're perseverating or ruminating on something that we perceive as negative in one way and we don't, we fail to see it another way. You know, if we, it's like, if you think of like artwork where if you stand here, it's just a bunch of sticks. And then if you move two feet to the left, suddenly it looks like a beautiful house. Mm -hmm. Um, And and so that's what different perspectives can do for us sometimes is give us that different way to look at it, to understand that, oh, it could actually be functional or it's something different than we're expecting. What is a, what is a good uh, D&D Reddit forum that you recommend? I like behind the screens. Okay. A lot. Um, that one, it's just for game masters running games, asking questions. It's uh, not for like your simple tips of like, how does disadvantage work? But it's more like one of the things that they say there is like, we appreciate text walls. <laughs> <laughs> like, go, go deep. Go deep. And, and like you, pretty much every post on there is going to be pretty long and involved. Yeah. Um, and it's really nice to see that. And there, you can get a lot more thoughtful responses and um, discussions on there. Yeah, I've, I've, I've more recently been a fan of the D&D Next. Um, mm-hmm. That one's good too. Um, because it's it's not 95% artwork. Um, the, the regular D&D one, which is great if you just want oh, to yeah. art. But I like, you know, I'm trying to like figure out how people are thinking about D&D in aggregate. Yes. And, and the D&D next one seems to be good Q&A. And, and, mm-hmm. yes, but I'm always looking for, for good ones. I'll definitely, I'll definitely check that one out. Yeah, uh, so it's the, a good one. The last question on your three questions um, mm-hmm. was uh, you mentioned uh, keeping notes of your good games. Yes. A, a really great idea. 
is it useful to keep notes on your bad ones or are you just sort of you know locking in something that's best forgotten it depends on why you're keeping the note yeah. Okay. If you're keeping the note to be like, here's proof of why I'm a crappy DM. <laughs> not so right? good. Not so no, useful. <laughs> that's, that's not helpful. But if it's a note where you're saying, um, remember not to um, get over-invested in this, you know, if it's a thing where you're doing like, I actually on my monitor right here, I have a note that says the character, not the DM. Right. Because in the game where I play, like I got mad at my DM one night for something that the characters were doing. <laughs> and I was like, oh God, I, I could slip into this too. Because again, I'm a human and I <laughs> I suffer from humanity. Um, and so keeping those notes around to uh, really, uh, you know, remind us of where we've slipped up in the past and what we need to do to not slip up again, I think mm -hmm. could be really helpful for us. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so you, you mentioned um, getting distance, right? That like, mm -hmm. when we're in the middle of it is not, and when we're all hot on it, is not the best time to, 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 to dive into the problem. And best is to, you know, take a step back, take some deep breaths. Yes. Right, and, yeah. and, and try to, what, do, are there any other tips you have for like the best and the healthiest ways to sort of analyze a problem that may have gone wrong in our games? You really want to clearly identify what went wrong. Mm -hmm. If you're just sitting there going, I don't know what went wrong, something went wrong. Like that's, you're not gonna get useful data out of that, right? So we're talking about like, when we're talking about behavior changes, we want it to be data-driven, mm -hmm. right? So we want something that's clearly identifiable, measurable, changeable, right? So if we don't have that, we can't make a change. I, I, I'm laughing because like I will often, and I, my wife is in my, my, one of my two regular games. And I'll often say like, so one out of 10, how good was that game? That's <laughs> like, oh, fucking eight. And I'll like keep a mental note. <laughs> and then like, I ran a game last week that kind of precipitated this whole conversation. Mm -hmm. and I was like, how was that, you know, right afterwards? And I, I knew it, things had not gone particularly well. And uh, I was like, so how'd that go? And she's like, I don't know, like a six out of 10. I was like, oh, I'm the worst DM. Yeah, <laughs> which I mean, like still six is above average. I know, well, I don't know, yeah. not, it's well below my average. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, and I think that's one thing too, is like, what is our comparison group? Right. Right. Yeah, uh, that that's always important to do because, like, uh, you know, I know Critical Role is super duper popular, right? And so many DMs out there compare themselves to Matt Mercer, mm -hmm. who's a professional voice actor. <laughs> <laughs> like, d don't do that. Like, I I'm a psychologist. I'm not a voice actor. Yes, I do voices when I DM, and sometimes I forget what NPC had what voice, and I screw it up. You know, like, you want to have an accurate comparison group for yourself so that right. you. Can can understand what you're comparing to but like th that importance of taking some time to get that emotion you know um when we get highly emotional basically our amygdala our central brain takes over it hijacks our cortex so we really can't think this is why when you get into an argument with somebody you can't think logically like i don't think i've ever met somebody who said i made a wonderful decision while i was super duper angry mm -hmm. Right. We just, we don't think when we're emotional. So, you know, you need that time to process through the emotions, to do some self-care, whatever that might be. You know, maybe it's going for a walk, taking a bath, journaling for a while. Writing can be a wonderful way to just kind of process through everything that you're experiencing and trying to understand the problem a little bit better. Um, but then once you do it, you know, you really want to identify like, what was the thing that went wrong? Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, the thing your poll found was the number one thing is that expectation management. <laughs> what did I expect to have happen? What actually right. happened? Yeah. And then I think the secondary question that's really important is what did the players expect to have happen? Right. And right. what happened? 
Right. Um, because maybe for the players, their expectations were met. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I did. I did. So when when the topic and the, the topic has swirled around, and I've seen it in many different venues of the my game isn't as good as Critical Role. And I've, I've, the, the actually, the one that's been more interesting are DMs who are worried that other DMs are being held to the, to the standard yeah. of the And I was always kind of like, that, you know, how, we don't even know if it's necessarily a problem. So I'm like, well, let me do a two-part poll on Twitter. And I yeah. you know, it's absolutely perfectly scientifically valid. No <laughs> selection bias. None no at all. No selection <laughs> 100% solid. I don't care what anybody says. I don't listen to other people anyway. And um, yeah, so I did one for DMs saying, mm-hmm. you know, do you worry that people are holding you to the standards like Critical Role, something like that? Mm-hmm. And um, and the end, you know, it was it was not it was like thirty or forty percent did right. It's pretty significant, yeah. yeah I, I don't know. I don't have it right in front of me. I'll have to. I'll put it in show notes mm-hmm. or something like that. Um, but then I asked players like, do you wish your game was more like Critical Role? And it was like sixteen percent said they did. So it was mm-hmm. like. Uh, far fewer the, the percentage was much lower for players saying i wish my game was more like critical role than dms who thought that people wanted their game to be more like critical. yeah so well, I thought, like and it's but not zero right <laughs> yeah it's not zero so there it's there right but like there's this interesting thing there's this phenomenon in psychology we call the spotlight uh, spotlight effect where you think people are looking at you and thinking about you yeah. way more oh. than they actually are right oh, yeah and like as a dungeon master that's so much harder because people are actually looking at right. you and talking about your story right. and especially if you're live streaming the game um you know and then you're making the calls on all the rules and everything like that <laughs> it, so it's terrifying and so it, it's hard to know like am i overthinking this because i'm doing the spotlight effect and right. I'm thinking about myself and of the more than people are actually thinking about me, or is this being accurate and trying to understand the expectations? And again, that's where having that person you can bounce ideas off of and talk to becomes so helpful. Yeah, I heard I have to share it. It, it was this wonderful study that I heard, maybe you heard about that where they were studying the spotlight effect. And mm-hmm. it was um they gave a student a um so they they had a control group, which was a student walked in and interrupted a class lecture and asked the professor for something. The professor gave him something and they left. And then the the test group was, uh, somebody came in with a huge Barry Manilow t-shirt on, this like outrageously ugly Barry Manilow t-shirt. <laughs> and then had them come in and interrupt the class and do the same thing and then walk out. And they asked the person wearing the Barry Manilow t-shirt, right, who's like an undergrad, who last thing in the world they want is a Barry Manilow t-shirt. Uh, like how many people do you think notice your shirt? And they were like, you know, 90, 90% must have noticed. And they asked him, and it was like less than five. Like, yeah. Like, you know? Yeah. So I love that study because it means no one's watching me. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I think a hard thing for, <laughs> for us to remember too, is like, we only have our own experience, right? Right. We right. only know what it's like to be we us. The, we are the center of it. <laughs> yes. And so it can be hard to remember how to look outside that experience. And with that, with players and running games is, it's very easy to forget that our players don't know everything that we know and that we have all this other information that they just don't have access to. Right. And so it's like, we're like, oh, this game went so poorly from how I planned it. Players don't know how you planned it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) They might've had a great time and they just don't know what you had in mind. And so therefore they're happy and you could be happy. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's a, that's a trick too. And I think that can happen 
that can happen in the other direction. I'll, I'll use my, my sample size of one. I was talking to my wife about the game I ran last time. And, um, and she brought up like, I'm pretty sure I knew the game wasn't going very well before you knew it wasn't going well. So in some, I think probably, I mean, I'm, now I'm making statistics up. Which yes, is yeah. About, like mm -hmm. my Twitter polls. But um, you know, I think that people, I would, I would guess that more times DMs think their game wasn't particularly good when their players were perfectly happy with it. Mm -hmm. um, then probably the opposite. Although I, I imagine the opposite could happen too, where DMs think like, wow, everybody thought that was great. And they're like, wow, it was miserable. Yeah, right? yeah. And, I, and, and mine, I mean, I don't think everybody was miserable, but I certainly like it, 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 you know, the game had gone pretty far before. Like I realized like, you know, people aren't necessarily having nearly as much fun as I think they're having. How, mm -hmm. is, how do we, how do we see, like, how can we be more observant of that during the game? Like, what can we do? What are some I, tricks for us to... You want to watch the nonverbals, right? Yeah. If people are um, checking out, they're checking their phones, they're looking at their watches a lot, they're fidgeting with things, right? That's showing that they're bored, mm -hmm. right? If they are attentively taking notes, if they're looking around, if they're kind of having conversations and pointing at the game board or like looking at their notes and trying to compare things, those are all signs that they're engaged, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right? Um, I, I think typically where you're going to have an experience, so I'm going to make a hypothesis to your game last week. All right. You tried something new. Uh, not particularly. Okay. No, like, was, not like a new uh, skill challenge or a new way of doing something. It was more. Uh, it was more like old school dungeon heavy than I typically. Ah. Okay. And, and it felt very. I've got like so. You, you talked about writing about uh, your good games. Mm -hmm. and when I have a game like this, I end up with like three new Sly Flourish articles in three days. Yeah. And and so I've got like a series of articles about it. But um I, I you're you're right. I'm sorry. I take it back. You're right. There was one thing that I tried that was new, which mm -hmm. was Jeremy Crawford's uh description of how surprise is supposed to work. Mm. I hadn't been using. Like and so it's actually the way it's written in the book, but I just never did it that way. And I described it to my players and it's nerdy. It's like even nerdier than, you know, than D&D &D is. Mm -hmm. And people are already like, yeah. They were checking their phones while I'm describing it. Um, and, I, and I did put that into the game. Mm -hmm. And that did cause some of the, because they were like, yeah. we had characters that are pretty high level. They're like fifth level. And they're getting surprise attacked by specters because the specters are rolling really well. And they're getting life drained and losing like hit points permanently. And, you know, and, and one character got hit twice and got crit once and it nearly killed her. She had to make a, she had to make a saving throw or die. You know, and, <laughs> right? And so that was pretty harsh. And I was like, hey, it's specters. Like, you know, it's not like- That's I what they do, them. yeah. <laughs> you know, they're like CR1. So um, yes, but but you are, you are correct, but I did something new. Well, and I, and I did stack that on top of a, a game style. Yeah. So, and here's why I was saying that, because what happens when we are trying something new, we are forging a new neural pathway in our brain. Mm. We're breaking an old habit and trying something new, which takes attention and concentration. You only have so much ability to focus and concentrate. Yeah. And so because you're trying something new, you're very focused on doing it well, making sure you're remembering everything, you know, focusing on your notes in the game, and you're balancing all of those things on sticks. And so then your ability to notice what's going on around the table goes down. Yeah. yeah and that so that's why your wife was that probably more like, in tune with yeah. like, yeah. this I was isn't going that. well. And the other thing, which I was even less prepared than I typically am. I don't, mm -hmm. I don't as you know, I don't prepare a lot anyway. And um, in this case, I remember I was particularly um 
you know, I, like I, I, yeah, like it, it was a whole dungeon full of traps and I was making the traps up as we were going <laughs> on top. Yeah. Of yeah. So, see, so you had like a certain <laughs> stress load and so your stress, yeah. oh, your familiar has shown up. <laughs> I told you I'd have a cat. <laughs> I was, I've, yeah. been, I've been embarrassed by your awesome background, <laughs> but I said, well, maybe a cat will save me. There you go. <laughs> Yeah, but I, it's stuff like that. And so this is where like, um, I'm actually uh, been filming a new series for Psych at the Table where I talk about stuff like this and talk about how the brain works and how we learn new pathways and things. And like, that is one of the dangers is as you're trying new things, you're going to hyper-focus on that thing and be less observant to your players. Mm -hmm. Because again, you've only got so much attention. Like once you've run, like if you're somebody who writes traps all the time and right. is very familiar with traps, coming up with like 15 traps you know, is not going to be a problem at all. Right. But like, if you don't usually do dungeon heavy games, then like coming up with traps is going to take a lot and you're going to be fumbling and it's going to be harder for you to improv. Yeah. So it's, you know, kind of knowing your own limits. And sometimes like we push our, it's, please don't hear, don't ever try new things because that's not <laughs> the thesis here. Like try new things all the time. Just expect to fail a good chunk of the time and just learn from your failures because that's how we learn. That's how we grow. Well, I think that, um, yeah, the idea that if I know I'm going to be trying something new and just telling myself, that means I need to be more observant of how people are reacting to not just that thing, but the game overall, because I'm not going to have the cognitive my 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 default cognitive load isn't going to be mm -hmm. enough to keep track of that so pay a little bit extra attention to it yes um yeah that 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 that's a that's a really interesting that's a really interesting idea it's definitely a good one like one of the things that i was i was thinking about in it not that to make this a session about my game but <laughs> what's well, this is a like therapy knew, debrief about your game i got yeah, it right. I, 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 <laughs> I was running this like death trap dungeon style right mm -hmm. And I said to myself, like, I'm, I'm, I don't know if you're familiar with uh, Robin Laws and uh, Hamlet's Hit Points. Mm -mm. So Robin Laws is a longtime game developer. He wrote a book called Hamlet's Hit Points. Uh, we actually did another episode about it. And um, it's got a lot of different things in it. But one of the main takeaways is that, like, all good fiction is based on upward beats and downward beats. And the better fiction are the ones that know how to oscillate those two. Yeah. Um, and... Uh, you know, this is a, a thing that I've that I've thought about a lot. And I um, so when I knew I was running a game where there were going to be lots of downward beats wired into it by default, that like because it's a dungeon, yeah, it's inherently dangerous. It's filled with traps. It's filled with terrible monsters. It's not filled with a lot of good things that players that characters are going to enjoy. I have to keep that in mind and know that, hey, I'm going to be throwing a lot of downward beats at these guys. I better have some upward beats in hand. And like, yes. you know, a, a real simple one was like, you know, they will find a convenient healing, uh, a, a, a con sorry, I'm just going. Um, they will find a convenient healing fountain uh, mm -hmm. somewhere. And I don't know where, but I've, I've like, I got the miniature and I know that yeah. like a wall will break through and they'll find a healing fountain. They're like, oh, oh, thank God, a healing fountain. <laughs> so, but even when I was running, because I was doing the new surprise rules and because things were running, um, because things were running kind of ragged, I didn't even put in the upward beats that I had prepared ahead of time much less paid attention to, you know, the fact that the, yeah. that the players aren't really resonating with what's going on. And I think understanding, like you use the term cognitive load, and that's like the exact right term for this is just hey. <laughs> how much can I take before we start right. having diminishing returns, right? right? Right. So like, if you are a brand new dungeon master and you are running your game for the first time, don't do anything weird. Right? <laughs> right. Use a module that has been written and vetted already, yeah. right? Yeah. You know, um, you want to probably have your players use um, already pre-made ca character sheets. Right. 
It's a lot available from Wizards if you're running 5e. And then just follow that. Mm-hmm. Like, don't don't go off the rails too much because they're again, it DMing is an art. Yeah. And it's um, I started comparing it actually to being like a jazz musician. Mm-hmm. That I think it's really important to know the rules of any gaming system that you're gonna use for whatever game you're running. You want to understand the rules as written and how they work and what that looks like. And once you understand the rules as written, then you can start improving around them. Then you can do the the solos. Then you can be like, okay, I know what rules to break and when I know understand the function of it. Because like when you listen to a good jazz musician, they break the rules of music all the time. But they're doing it intentionally and in with deliberation in order to catch your ear and to bring make more interest in the music. And it's if it's done really well, it's a phenomenal game. Yeah. Yeah, that like luckily that is one where like it's a very common question that comes up in various forums and things like that. And the answer is typically you know hit the nail on the head which is like get the starter set you yep. know, play with Fandelver, have him fight a couple of goblins like yes you know, and, and a lot of times i've seen it and it's 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 interesting and and it can be a little sad too where like you know a brand new dm is like oh i'm building this huge world and i've got all these ideas and i'm i want to have him fight a god like I'm, you know and you're like you know i i love you and your creativity save save it just yeah you know month two like <laughs> you know yeah so so it's a, it's very interesting that the, the reaction a lot of times from new DMs is it's this explosion of new creativity, mm-hmm. you know, this real desire to like you, you, they clearly have not had an outlet to yeah. let this new world build itself. And you're like, that's great. Hang on to it though, because you don't know how AC works yet, right? Like, well, let me it, just get a couple of fundamentals done. Yeah, and, and like that's the important thing. It's like you want to funnel that creativity. You want to build the creativity. Like, don't throw out the, the world you just right. built. Keep it up. But remember, like, make a village first. Yeah, right. <laughs> right? And start with a village and, you know, getting those entry-level plot hooks in because you are you want to figure out how your players play and you also want to figure out how you play right. and what kind of game you're going to run. And that's really important to do. Right, right. Um, so we, we talked about, uh, you know, and certainly there's different, this is one where different kinds of quote-unquote bad games um, will matter. But uh, what are what are some good ways for us to talk about how games have gone with our players? What are some effective ways for us to get that feedback without mm-hmm. having things go into well, a spiral? I think you know, being honest is really important from us and from the players too, right? If you are asking for feedback from your players, especially live, where there's sort of that social pressure to um, be kind and nice and to understand you know, to appreciate the time you've put into the game and stuff they might not want to be as honest with you especially if you start getting defensive if they go you know if they give you one little bit of critical feedback and you're like oh well i did that because blah 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 right and it's like okay well you don't really want bad feedback then i'm gonna not say anything now right right, right. um but if you can hear feedback and go yeah you're right like that's or that's how that came off oh my god I'm so sorry. I didn't intend for it to come off that way. Wow. Uh, and, and then you can grow from that and you can take feedback in and you can learn from it and grow from it. Now, look, sometimes we're better at it than others. There, there's been times where I've run games and they've gone horribly off the rails and I just fell apart as a DM and I was like, I, I can't. Any, let me just close this out. We got to take a break. Um, but then there's other times where I'm hearing stuff. I'm like, okay, that's good to know. Like, I won't do stuff like that again, or I'm going to build things in this way so that we don't have these challenges in the future. Um, but if you're not receptive to feedback, your players are going to know that and they're not going to be honest with you. 
Um, I think another really handy thing is use a tool like SurveyMonkey where people can respond anonymously. Hmm. Um, I mean, it's hard when you've only got a you know small group of people. <laughs> like, I can spend can... all my time trying to figure out who they are. <laughs> yeah, it's like <laughs> analyze their handwriting, you know, or whatever. Um, right. But it, you know, it's, uh, it's something like that that gives that a. Uh, ability for people to be a little, feel a little bit more honest. And I found a question I used on an anonymous poll that I did with my players was, um, how much do you want to see this campaign go through level 20? Mm -hmm. uh, rather than asking, are you enjoying it? Right. Um, because I felt like they would all feel the social pressure to say yes. Right. But I like, can you see yourself playing this character all the way through level 20? And I felt like that kind of got at the heart of what I wanted to know, which is, is this game engaging for you? Is the story engaging? Are you sticking with it? Are you enjoying it enough to see yourself playing it for another couple of years? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's an RPG called 13th Age. And mm -hmm. I think it was in the core book for 13th Age, but it's, a, it's something I tried to pick up and throw at the end of my 5e games, um, which is asking what element of the game they want to see move forward. So like mm. what, what part of it, and you know, a question I'll often ask, and honestly, I don't get great feedback from it. Most of the time I get like, oh, it's doing great, right? Like, we're yeah, fine. Well, I don't know. <laughs> um, right. But I'll often ask like, what did you enjoy? What, what kind of thing did you particularly enjoy in this week's game? And what are you, you know, what would you like to see in a future game? Mm -hmm. right? And sometimes I get it like, you know, sometimes it's like, well, less specters, you know? Um, <laughs> and then, and then, uh, but other times it will be uh, like, I really, you know, somebody somebody brought up that they, they really liked how they've had opportunities to sort of, after every adventure, going back to a hometown and having a downtime session of a few days mm -hmm. in that hometown. Um, so you're like, oh, okay, you know, you get pretty decent feedback. But I have found it's 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 been hard to get um, feedback on. on yeah. Sort of the, well, the, there's that just that social pressure, like people. Yeah. Again, we're playing with our friends typically, and they want to be nice to us. Yeah. Right. I don't know. My my friends don't seem to have too much trouble telling me what. <laughs> well, thank you. Once you hit a certain <laughs> like, level of friendship, right? I'm coming every week. Like I'm fighting DC right. traffic to come to your house. Right? <laughs> yeah. What do you want? Well, and like if um, it, you know, at a convention, if you're trying to ask for feedback, you know, most everybody's going to be like, oh God, like I I couldn't imagine trying to DM at a convention to a bunch of strangers. Like you're just doing it, and that's amazing. So yeah, of course you're doing great. <laughs> Um, so let's let's talk about a let's let's dive into another topic here that I, mm -hmm. I think came up a few times in um, in the in the like how games can go bad, uh, which are you know I'm gonna I'm gonna throw them as like the the difficult player category. Mm -hmm. um, so and and I I think this can be kind of broken up into 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 sort of two areas, the false dichotomy, of course. Yes. Uh, but what's the best way to deal with a disruptive player? We'll start. There. Um, so I did a, I had the pleasure of doing an interview with Chris Lindsay last year at Game Holcon. It's on, um, so plug for my channel and psych at the table, but he talked about this so brilliantly for live games where you have all the players at the table, uh, talking about using your body language and like, you know, when one player you're trying to give a player the spotlight and another player is trying to take it like that, you keep your face and your attention on the player who you're trying to give the spotlight to. And you just do the to the player that is trying to interrupt, right? The, and like, this is a good thing though, because this is, I have heard you. I understand you wish to speak. You are next in my queue, mm -hmm. right? And, and then if somebody else tries to come in, right? We got another hand. <laughs> um, and so like, I think that's great. Where we can have a little bit more of a challenge is if we're playing through a platform such as like Roll20 or Zoom and 
if someone's continuing that. The one benefit we have with a digital game versus a live game, though, is well, <laughs> muting, yeah, but like that's not really addressing the problem, but it's actually um, sending d direct messages to the person. Right, right. Right. And if it's, you know, the central thesis of Sake at the Table is talk to your players, right? <laughs> talk to them. If you haven't, like, if somebody's been trying to hog the spotlight all night, sit down and be like, dude, what's going on? Like, there's five other people here. We got to give everybody time. And like, you keep jumping in and they might just be like, I'm so excited. I'm just so excited to play. I want to do everything. It's like, okay, I get it. I get it. So like, I love your energy. I love your, you know, how much you're into this. How can we use that to help everybody else play? How can we bring that in? How can you help be a solution to this? Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and I think one of the things too, that's really super important with disruptive players is rewards. We know from just basic behavior reinforcement, rewards work better than punishments. Hmm. So if you like just one little D6 inspiration dice, okay, it's not going to completely wreck your game. It's not going to unbalance your campaign to go, you know, so, so you are playing amazing tonight. Here's a DM inspiration dice. You're playing great tonight. Here's a DM inspiration dice. And we hand those out and people are suddenly like, oh, ooh, <laughs> right? I can do things. And like, again, we're talking about a D6. So what? <laughs> right. If it decreases the amount of disruption you have at the table and it increases the behaviors you want to see in your players and it makes it a little bit more fun for them because something that would have missed or failed now suddenly succeeds because they get to add a D6 to it, where's the harm in that? Well, what, what is a way, so when you have, if you have a group where you have a, a mix of, and I don't know, this is not even the right way to say it, like a mix of different kinds of people yeah. Uh, some many of them are are perfectly fine. They're 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 playing great. And you have a couple that sort of lead into the disruptive category pretty regularly. Mm -hmm. They either grab the spotlight too heavy, or they're sort of antagonistic with the rest of the group. Um, mm -hmm. you know, other things like that. What what kind of rewards can you give them to help bring them to the other ones without, you know, that like like die you brought, like if I'm only giving yeah. them a jerk when they're not being a jerk. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, no, no, that's but that's the point, right? It's like, like yeah, no, like if they're you know. Um, so like typically let's say they interrupt somebody and you've talked to them about it a dozen times and you see them starting to go ah, and then they stop themselves just be like just pass the d the d6 over to them right away and be like i saw that i saw that you were about to and you stopped yourself you regulated the way i want you to you're doing awesome you know you don't think that the other players are going to feel like welcome i'm not you know no no you reward the other players too benefit no no you you reward them as well right because mm -hmm. like um i got you yeah, and you know, like, uh, what was happening in the game? Oh, I, I was uh, at the therapy games I run. Everybody has access to their character sheets on roll twenty, and they were leveling up at the end of the session. And so, usually at the start of the next session, we would level everybody up. But I was like, all right, whoever levels their character up between now and our next session gets a DM inspiration dice <laughs> at the start. You know, so everybody had that opportunity. And then there's other times where the players. Um, one player leaned into their character's fears, really. They have a centaur character who's afraid of the water because they think centaurs can't swim, which I think kind of makes sense. The balancing wouldn't work very well. And uh, they had to f have their character face their fear and they role-played it out really, really well. And so they got a DM inspiration dice. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, you want to hand those out. Like, you know, pop on Amazon, buy a bunch of D6s that are all the same, that are very different from the dice that everybody else has. And those are those DM inspiration dice. 
and just reward that. And like, you can taper it off after a while once you're getting people, you know, and just, but you still want to dole them out every now and then. Intermittent reinforcement, meaning reinforcement you cannot predict when is coming is the most powerful reinforcement there is. <laughs> this is why slot machines are right. such a big thing. <laughs> um, so, uh, uh, does this does this work equally well with with players who might be on the autism spectrum? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, totally. That's like one of the reasons why D and D is actually a great um, intervention tool for people on the spectrum because it does have rewards built into it, mm -hmm. and it's structured and it's rules and it's a way to socially interact with people where there is that structure and it can help. Um, and again, like it, if you have a player who's on the spectrum, they know they're on the spectrum, right? Sit down and talk to them and just say, like, what challenges do you see? Like, you know, typically, like, um, noise can be an issue, being just overwhelmed. You know, it's like, if you get overwhelmed and you need to take a break, what do we need to do to make sure that happens in a way that's respectful to you? Um, you know, it's, again, it's just kind of talking to them and trying to figure out, like, how do we do this in a way that makes sense? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so kind of stepping back into the, into the, 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 how we deal with a bad game our, ourselves. Mm -hmm. um, are there any are there are there techniques we can use to help us sort of shore ourselves up before a game begins other than like keeping an eye out on what makes games go south yeah well there, like things we can do to ourselves to get like to better better weather a, a game if it happens to be going bad does that make sense well again yeah i don't know um so you know again keeping those notes of what makes a game go well mm -hmm. um have i think one of the big things i'll say here is prevention is the best medicine have session zero with your client, with your patient or that your players. Sorry, <laughs> clinical mode today. Oh, nope, nope, not patients for you. <laughs> no, with your player, you want to have session Does zero. That mean I get to charge them like one hundred and fifty dollars. <laughs> no, <laughs> um, but like it, to sit down and have that session zero and like session zero is so important because it lets us all play on the same you know stage. We understand what's going on. You know, like I. I actually had an interesting dialogue with a couple of my colleagues where they were talking about that they didn't like the idea of like, well, if you don't like my table, don't play. They're like, that's not right. I'm like, oh, yeah. no, like I don't run sci-fi. Mm -hmm. If I have somebody who wants to play sci-fi, I don't want them at my table because they are going to be continually disappointed in my high fantasy games. <laughs> like, That's not a good match and that's yeah. okay. Yeah. And that's what session zero does is it lets us know you know, what everyone's expectations are and to align with those expectations, right? And then, so when we have that clear idea of like what we do, how we're going to handle things, if they do go wrong, you know, all, all of that stuff, it, it really helps us, you know, go into the games well. Um, another thing that is really good is too is prep your sessions, right? Like you don't have to go overboard with prepping. I love your book, Lazy Dungeon Master. It has saved <laughs> hours of stupidity. Um, but like it, you want to have a general understanding of what the goal of the game is. Um, for those who watch me DMing clinical role, yes, it's my copies at work are <laughs> used the most. I always um, have one within five feet of me. <laughs> I think that's a requirement when you write a book like that, right? <laughs> um, no, but I have emotional goals for my players each game. I go like, emotionally, what points do I want and kind of hit this game? What question do I want them to have by either an answer for by the end of the game or to be asking themselves by the end of the game? Hmm. And it's been a really fun way for me to check in with my players to make see how I'm doing. Um, I'll never forget this. Like it was last year's PAX West. I was sitting down with one of my players and it was just after I had started doing that. And I was going, okay. I was like, I've been giving your characters emotional beats to hit. 
and I was I asked them specifically I was like what was your character's emotional beat last game what do you like if you were to say like a one sentence thing that your character walked away from from that game what was it and they got it exactly hmm. and I was like okay all right this is good <laughs> we're all the and I think that's good because it the emotional beats we're trying to get our players to hit too um aren't always fun right like uh you can have an exploration of my past isn't what I thought it was not in a way of like I have amnesia and I don't remember it but more like I had the expectation that this was how the world worked and now I'm coming to as an adult back and finding out it's not that way and that could be unsettling and so if the player is coming to you afterwards and being like I didn't like that game because I felt unsettled or whatever we can talk about that and talk about boundaries and then it also gives us the talk you know the ability to say well I'm trying to have your character grow and understand the world in a more complex way. And so this was how I was choosing to do that. And then to own it up, if you did it badly to say like, did I do this in a disrespectful way to your story? Did I, do you feel like I took away your autonomy? Um, but I think that can help. And like, if the players, I think, know that you as a DM have an idea of the overarching place you're trying to get to. So even if we go to a place that's a little uncomfortable for a bit, as long as they know we're going to get somewhere good, we're going to get to that fountain of healing. Um, it's okay. <laughs> Does uh, being disintegrated in a trapped chest count as like an emotional beat for a character? It might, you know. <laughs> as it's a little bit of development. Yes. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, it's a you, lot of you, dust. <laughs> yeah. Joking aside, do you do you have these kind of emotional beats for characters for all of the characters in a session, or do you alternate between sessions? Um, one or two. So I have to make I've, this one, you know, jammer yeah. session. Well, I try to um, have a little bit for everybody. Like, I don't want to have a player sitting back kind of twiddling their thumbs. Mm -hmm. um, so it it's a way for me to have that in mind of what am I trying to steer this character towards in this session? You mm -hmm. know, where, and, and it can just be a small nudge of, um, like in the game, a couple of the characters, they finished their story arc. They came, like their character started with a revenge quest and it's come to its conclusion. And they're left with a lovely, beautiful question. And I love, uh, now what? And so their emotional goals probably for the next two or three sessions are honestly going to be contemplating the now what and what's next and how do I fit, you know, what's, what's at, what happens after revenge. Right. Really interesting story to tell. Yeah. 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 yeah so that's great. One of the, uh, like, like step, step one of the, the eight steps of return to the lazy dungeon master <laughs> um, is to review the characters. Yeah. And a lot of times it's just like, I guess I just want to have them in my head. Mm -hmm. So that when I'm doing all the rest of my prep, I, I kind of know. And I think adding the idea of like, what emotional beat can I throw in for these characters is a, a nice sub step in there. Yeah. Like, when I look at them, what can I say? Like, you know, uh, uh, what, what, you know, where can I kind of push this dial a little bit mm -hmm. for this, for this character? I think that's really great. Um, so I have, I have one more question. Then we're going to take some questions from the audience. Yes. Yeah, um, I've seen a few rolling in. So, yeah, I know. And, and, but I like to hog the, the guest. So, <laughs> But one, one last thing is like, what what's the best way for a, after a game has has gone quote unquote bad, right? Mm -hmm. All of our qualifiers about what a bad game is. Uh, what's the best way to get back in the saddle? And is there a time when it's best to, to, to take a longer step away? Yeah, I think it's important to step back into it, right? And to grow and to learn. You want to step back after you've calmed down though. And after you've kind of gotten your, collected yourself emotionally. Um, learning from it is important too. You know, I I'm of the philosophy of like, it's okay if I fail as long as I learned. You know, I, I could learn something stupid from it, but as long as I learned something, 
it wasn't a complete waste, right? And so we can look back and go, okay, what did I learn about myself? What did I learn about my cognitive load? What did I learn about my management of the energy at the table? What have I learned about my ability to run, you know, this type of game versus this type of game? You know, when we learn about that stuff, I think that really helps us grow and develop. And then it can give us that sense of control and mastery as we come back to the table, right? It's like, okay, I understand going this way didn't work this time. So here's how I'm going to correct that. Here's how I'm going to go in this direction this time. And I think that can really help. Um, as far as when it's time to step away, because sometimes we do need to step away. Um, I, I think the biggest one is if it's just not fun anymore. Um, if you're not enjoying yourself, like that's, it, it's important. Like sometimes it, it doesn't have to be a permanent step away, um, but it's good to take those breaks. Um, I don't, are you familiar with the YouTube series, Man Shorts? Mm -mm. They actually, it's really funny. Um, they do ridiculous D and D like they did uh, what, the one that got me into it. I used to be in the army as they did military D and D <laughs> it's did stuff of like roll for cleaning your rifle. <laughs> And it's like, your, your sergeant found dust on your rifle. You're doing 15 push-ups. Make a strength check. <laughs> I, and, um, but they actually just did a, an interesting story where the dungeon master was like, I can't do this anymore, and walks away and goes into um, a, gr a group therapy setting for dungeon masters and talking about their problems with the group. And like, it's a, a really good, it's funny, of course. Like, they're a comedy channel, so it's meant to be funny. But like at the end of that little arc, he comes back to his group and he goes, okay, if you guys really want to keep me around as a dungeon master, here are the things that need to change. Mm -hmm. And I love that because it was, it showed, I think the perfect thing of like GM burnout and then coming back and rejoining with your group and picking that back up. So if you haven't checked it out, check it out. It's really funny too. Yeah, I will. I will. <laughs> um, one of the, yeah. So one of the things that I was, I, you know, while I was, while we were preparing for this show Again, I'm very lucky that my wife <laughs> likes D&D as much as I do. And we can go for long walks and talk about this. And we were kind of talking through questions and everything that I wanted to ask. And um, one of the things I brought up was that, like, I kind of had this game that was the 6 out of 10, which is like an apocalyptic game for me. And um, I, you know, and I said, like, the funny thing was, like, my initial reaction. And it was, it was small. And I was able to kind of quickly, like, mm -hmm. wash it aside. Was like, well, that's the end of D&D &D for me. Right? Yeah. Like, you know, yeah. I guess, I don't, how can I write it? Like, I can't even run a dungeon anymore. <laughs> and I, you know, how can I do all the rest of this stuff? And that's the end. I guess, I guess I'm all finished. Like, well, there was a good run while I had it. And then I was like, you know, the thing that kept it back is like, I've had a hundred other games this year and they all went fine. So, yes. like, you know, <laughs> divide the number of bad games by the number of good games and I have a very good ratio. And again, that's um, where like having that data accessible yeah. at your fingertips because in that moment again your brain is just like well this is done this yeah, is done. yeah well like, I, I don't want this right let's no one's coming back next week yeah yeah this was painful i want to walk away i never want to experience this again right. but like it to have that like no wait i have had a success here and right. i had a success here and right. he, okay wait a second maybe i'm not as bad at this as i thought yeah so. and, I, and i think i'm i'm particularly lucky and i don't know that this is something that that most most you know D, &D people can do is like i had a game three days later Right. Mm -hmm. And it was one of the best games I've ever had. And not, not because I was on it, but because like all the players brought so much great stuff into the game and it was just this really fantastic story and it went chaotic and it was just beautifully, beautifully wild. And so that like boosted me right back up again. And I'm kind of excited about the next one. Uh, but I don't, for some people, like, you know, they might only have like a game a month, right? Yeah. They might have, yeah. They might be pretty infrequent. And if they have a bad one, it's a month before they're going to be able to like really get back in the saddle on that. Well, and that's where like getting to be a player for a little while can be important as yeah. well. 
you know, jump it, go to your local game store and just jump into an Adventures League game mm-hmm. for a night or DM an Adventures League game. They are always needing more DMs for those. Like, I doubt that there is a, a game store out there that will turn you away if you are a semi-competent GM re- ready to run Adventures League. Yeah, right. No, yeah, that's 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 the one thing we have in our favor, however, however yes. games happen to go, is that even if we're, you know, even as mediocre DMs, yeah there's better than none yes <laughs> like a lot of there's a lot of players who are looking for a game yeah yeah don't, don't have any uh rudy did you have a did you have an announcement uh so we're here Hello. with rudy so our guardian angel yes uh, for this show uh yeah not an answer but there's some, been some great commentary in chat specifically from uh insanity rocks is the name of this person which Okay, uh, but one cool thing that they said was that they use the Rose Thorn Bud method for commentary. So ask your players, Rose, what did you like about the session? Thorn, what did you not like about the session? And Bud, what are you looking forward to in the next sessions? Uh, Which I think is a really cool. That's kind awesome. Of, yeah. Yeah, Doctor. Uh, what do you think of that? I'm gonna steal it. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's something that I learned from the military. Um, it was we have something called the AAR, which is the after action review. Yep. Anytime you do something, you have to come up with three positives, three negatives, and three things are going to change at, at a minimum. Um, and I've actually I forgotten to do this the last couple times I've run combat in my therapy games, but I do that um, when we do combat because it's a great time for people to reflect and to talk like, okay, what did you guys do well as players, as characters, like what did your characters do well? And that's a really great, um, <laughs> oh, I'm saying Rox is former RB2, awesome. <laughs> but like, it, it really helps with like that understanding of, okay, what did we do well? What are the things that we need to remember in the future? What are the problems that we have? And like, it, it builds, um, doing stuff like that is really fun because it's, I think realistically characters would reflect on you know, how can we not die? You know, like, you know, Grungan keeps going down to, you know, keeps getting knocked out in fights. That can't keep happening. <laughs> we need to keep them safe. How do we do that? Um, and so, it, you know, it adds to that kind of technical complexity of the game, which is fun, but it, it also helps players kind of reflect on things and learn and grow. And then it, as a GM, it gives you some insight into how their brains are working and how they're approaching problems. <laughs> yeah, I think we touched on this a little bit, but I want to, I want to kind of dive into it again. Uh, which was um, like how how best to solicit feedback from our players. We're actually going to get get mm-hmm. something to work with. I mentioned that like you know I don't feel like my players are placating me. Yeah. Right. They're 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 pretty you know they're pretty direct you know um, and 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 my wife certainly is um, you know but I still feel like when I when I when I ask a question and like I, I kind of pick two of those right mine mine is mm-hmm. the what did you enjoy in this week's game? What would you like to see more of in a, in a, in a future game? And most of the time, what I get is like, yeah, good. <laughs> and I'm perfectly happy with that. Like, I'm like, mm-hmm. look, again, it's, you know, my Wednesday game is after work, right? Everybody's mm-hmm. had a full day. They usually had to drive through traffic to get to my place. You know, it's nine. And when I'm asking them, it's like 9 45, 10 o'clock at night on a weeknight. Yeah, they're tired. Like, I'm tired. I want to go home. Yeah, like, I don't want to. You know, and and mm-hmm. and they have other players where like, yeah, we will we will have email exchanges about how mm-hmm. things or throughout the week. Um, but are there you know are there better ways to to get workable, usable, um, feedback? You know, like what what are those kind of right ways to elicit feedback from players? Well, yeah, I think it's. I, mean, I love Survey Monkey. You mentioned a bunch of other. Yeah, of- yeah. I, well, I love I love those questions. That idea of like what went well, what didn't go so well, and what are you looking forward to? I think that's a great. Um, yeah, because we talk about when you're giving feedback to somebody due to the criticism sandwich, 
praise, feedback, praise, <laughs> right? Uh, to stroke the ego, help them feel good. And then we move on to something else. Uh, so like, uh, that, that's a great way too, because we're starting off with the positives and everybody can rattle off positives, right? Mm-hmm. Um, then we're going into the negatives and we're thinking about the critically. It's like, hey, well, you know, the thing in town kind of dragged on a bit or um, the description of the trap was kind of weird. I don't, I don't really understand that. And then looking forward to gives you the motivations for the players and the characters. And so I think that's a brilliant way. I think also maybe um, getting in the habit of checking in with your characters via some, you know, whether it's a group text message, like WhatsApp, um, a Discord is one I, I'm a big fan of, um, Google Hangout, you know, some way to just touch base with your players between sessions mm-hmm. um, and to make sure that you're doing that. Yeah. You know, if you're, especially like uh, in my game, um, there was one session where it ended and I couldn't quite tell if one of the players was actually mad or if they were just role playing yeah and i've got that I, yeah and so the next day <laughs> I like i right messaged now. him i was like i'm pretty sure she's I cool but think you were role playing but i want to make sure and if i pushed you know if this story went in a way that you weren't comfortable with let me know we will retcon stuff we'll change things i want to make sure you're having a good time that is my number one priority yeah, and i pretty quickly got back up no i was having a great time i was yeah. role playing <laughs> yeah yeah that's great well this has been a fantastic conversation uh, I really, I've, I've learned a whole lot. Um, I'm, I'm excited to, to put a lot of these things into practice. Uh, I feel really good about my bad game from last week now. <laughs> good, good. Uh, did you have any, did you have any final thoughts tonight? No, I, like I said, it, we didn't touch on that you wanted to. No, I think, did we get everybody's questions that we had or? I, I think we did. Rudy, did, did, did we have any questions that we, that we didn't get to? Gotcha. Cool. Gotcha. <laughs> Excellent. No, I think, uh, again, um, I'm going to do a shameless plug for psychology. Yeah, no, no, please. It's, Absolutely. A, it's really designed to help game masters like, and to be a better friend. It's not designed to turn you into a psychologist. It, you know, that is not what it's about, but it's to give you tools and ways to understand how different disorders work, how the brain works, how behavior works. And then that way you're better equipped to manage the players around the table. Because honestly, that's, again, at the end of the day, that's what a dungeon master is, is we are people managing. We're managing expectations. We're, you know, herding the cats towards a certain goal and working through that. And so it, the more tools we can have about understanding people better, I think the better we're going to be able to play and run games. Yeah. And, 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 and to get serious in another area and an area I'm sure you're, you're familiar with. Um, I've been, I've been listening to um, uh, and listening to podcasts and reading articles about the, 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 the science of happiness. Mm-hmm. And they talked about how, you know, the number one factor that can, uh, that, that has been kind of shown through surveys in science uh, to, to, to lead to happiness is uh, continual social interaction. Yes. That people who are, and, you know, to the point where, uh, and there was, I guess, this giant longitudinal study that they, that they did of, of happiness and, or it was of many things, but they were able to kind of isolate it towards, towards the, the role of social interaction. And that, being so- socially isolated was as bad for you as smoking, you know, worse yeah. for you than smoking. Yeah. And, you know, yeah, you think about, you know, how, how our lives can get more disconnected as we get more connected in an IT way, uh, mm-hmm. less connected in a, in, a, in a sort of person-to-person communication way. And uh, while I've been studying this, I've just been thinking about like, wow, D&D is saving people's lives, right? Like this is, you know, we think about D&D from a... Um, we think about D&D from a, from a perspective of like, well, we're all sitting around playing games, but like, you know, our lives can literally be longer uh, because yeah. we are 
because we're playing this kind of game and how important that is. And I think that that has led to a lot of its resurgence. Mm-hmm. So to, to the, the, I mean, I think that you and I are right on Like we're, we're both into this because we want to help people be better DMs. Yes. Right? And, yeah. I, and I, and I, I feel like even, even more so now, I feel like this is really a calling that's, that's well worth the well, so And interestingly to too, on that, the research on happiness is like, um, one of the things that we know pays the most dividends for making us happy is helping other people. Yeah. Right. 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 And so in that way, like dungeon master, we get to be social mm-hmm. to hang out with our friends mm-hmm. and we could potentially tell them stories that are going to make them super happy and excited and yeah. delighted. Yeah. Right. Uh, delight is the emotion I go for in my players. Right. right. Yeah. I've, I've come to the conclusion that like with the things that have been most important in my life, the things that have make me happiest in my life, I am doing all of them when I'm playing D and D. Mm-hmm. Like I'm fully engaged. I'm in full flow. I can't think about anything else. You know, yeah. all my work problems and all my life, other life problems are, I don't have time for them. Like, yeah, <laughs> I don't have yeah it's like, I have to do this. Right, yeah. Right. And I'm there with my friends and, and my wife and then we're having a great time. Uh, it does, uh, Rudy sent a secret message that says it looks like there is a question out there. Uh, we'll so, get it. Uh, yes. Let's do it. From Rudy, James yeah. Hitchacasso. What? I missed that. Hanger. It was just, uh, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> Uh, how do I convince someone who tried D&D and had a bad experience Ooh. because of their players or GM to try RPGs again with non-jerks? <laughs> That's a good question. Oh, it's a great question. I, I think it's just that idea of being willing to take a risk again and accurate expectation management. Um, if they had a bad experience with a jerk, try running a one-on-one session for them. Of like, let's just try it, just you and me. Like, um, Matt Colville ran a one-on-one game on his channel once. Um, and it's just a really interesting example of like how, what one-on-one D and D can look like. And I think that was really cool. And so like, um, just to kind of show them that, or even maybe showing a few different podcasts or live play games. I think one of the big things that has also led to the resurgence of D and D is Twitch is this what yep. we're doing right now? Because <laughs> when you look at a book of D, you know, when you, pick up pick this up and you're like what is this how is this fun like it's a thick book with lots of tables and charts and descriptions in it it's really abstract and like it's hard to understand but when you can see people sitting around a table telling a story together you're like oh, i get it i get why it's fun yeah that's a that's an idea and now the, the dnd essentials kit um, oh my gosh it's great uh, yeah i i got I, I need to run it i haven't run it yet and, I'm, and i haven't either i've I've kind of skimmed through it but I like know, but i really want to run it and and it has rules for one-on-one like official published rules for how to do one-on-one D games which i think expands this hobby in a much wider uh a much wider venue it's so much you know the idea of trying to get in and and you know number one problem that i've seen for people getting dnd is scheduling getting mm-hmm. oh yeah at the table um, but when you can play with, you know, a sibling or a family member or, you know, your spouse or, or whoever, you know, or a friend, right. Or a coworker mm-hmm. and just say, Hey, we'll just sit down and we'll do a game with just you and me that, um, that really makes, you know, can expand the, the, the envelope, uh, of this game. And, and also interesting is that, uh, the D and D essentials kit has three, um, uh, advent follow on adventures. Uh, that also can be played solo. One of which was written by James Intercasso, the guy who asked the question. So <laughs> I, th- I think there's a little bit of an internal kind of corruption thing going on. Mm, yeah. We'll let it. We'll let it slide. It's his <laughs> network. 
So, um, yeah. So I, I want to thank you again. This has been a really, really great conversation. Uh, do you, you, you please feel free to plug your show one more time? Yes. Yes. Yeah, Psychology at the table. It's at the Geeks Like Us YouTube channel, and then uh, Clinical Role is the uh, live play game that I DM on uh, every other Monday on our Geeks Like Us Twitch channel. Uh, it's a lot of fun. It's psychologists being super goofy, <laughs> like <laughs> amazingly goofy with each other, and just lots of shenanigans um and you get to see me scramble to make up uh npcs which is my personal weakness so they got to meet ben and jerry last night because they <laughs> decided to look for a donut shop so i was like okay that's that's, that's great yeah well, i want i want to thank you again rudy thank you very much for yeah. managing the show as you always uh, do aren't you two going to be on a panel at pax yes Unplugged? we should probably plug that yeah, finally, when is oh yeah we <laughs> yeah it would <laughs> Are there only three people playing D and D? It sounds like there's just like yeah, it's just a three. Yeah, we're going to be talking about to prep or not to prep, and how much is the right amount of prep. And we've got uh, I'm going to be moderating. James Intercrosco is going to be one of our panelists. Uh, McShay will be a panelist. We've also got Adam Davis from Game to Grow, and then uh, V Muse as well. The Crafting Muse is going to be there. Um, when is that? Do we know when that show's going? It's be? Friday one thirty. Wonder one thirty. Okay. Yeah. I sent it. I sent it in uh, a message on Twitter. <laughs> ah, okay. Was it a group message? Yes. Yeah, and that's why I didn't see it. <laughs> <laughs> I have a Twitter client that doesn't show those. Ah, okay. <laughs> Very good. Oh, we also have Go Goblin Kate too. She's the other panelist. Sorry, forgot about her. She's awesome improv and just fabulous voice actress. So. Excellent, excellent. Yeah, looking forward to it. <laughs> uh yeah so thanks thanks to everybody who uh was in twitch chat and uh uh thanks to everybody and i hope uh, uh we all get there and and enjoy and and have as few bad games as possible or have them and just learn from them or, or learn from the ones we do yes <laughs> thank you all very much Bye. <laughs>